还是朋友，还是你最懂我。我们有始有终，就走到世界尽头。双手。When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms.、Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah 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 explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help, and all types of audio engineering. Passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discorder magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union Building. We got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another week's edition of the Arts Report. I am your host, Christine Kim, and in studio we also have my lovely co-host Ashley Park. Hey, guys! We are broadcasting to you live from the University of British Columbia, Vancouver campus, on unceded Musqueam territory here on CITR 101.9 FM. To start off our show, we have our very first guest, Kathleen Allen. Hello. Hi there! Thank you so much for being on our show. Please tell us about what is going on with the Vancouver Academy of Music Symphony Orchestra. Well, this weekend we have our second concert of the season at the Orpheum, and this program is all Tchaikovsky, and we start with the Nutcracker Suite, which of course everybody knows,、um, and then we play his first piano concerto, which is such an exciting work and features Amanda Chan, who's the new head of the piano faculty、um, at VAM, and the second half. Features Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony, one of the most famous collections of melody ever written. So it's all familiar music,、mm-hmm. um, and it's all played by the VAM Symphony Orchestra. So our audience member is going to be hearing a little bit of the infamous Swan Lake、um, melodies. Not those melodies, but they'll be equally familiar. In the Nutcracker, you have the Sugar Plum Fairy, you have the Arabian Dance, you have the Danse Chinoise. All of the、uh, or the waltz of the flowers, all of these melodies that I can guarantee every single member of the audience will know and love. Awesome! And how was it working with、um, the new director, I guess, of VAM? What was your experience like working with her? 
the new director of VAM. Um, well, the director of the orchestra is Leslie Dalla, and he is the uh, primary conductor. I'm new as the associate conductor, and this is my first concert with the orchestra. So actually, I've taken all of the rehearsals for this concert um, and have sort of stepped into his shoes for these rehearsals and this concert. He is the um, primary music director, and we'll do all of their other concerts this season. Wow, and were those big shoes to fill? Was it kind of a daunting task, or did you have a lot of fun with it? Oh, yeah, well, both. I'm having quite a lot of fun, and these musicians, um, they're all young. They range from, I believe, the youngest player in the orchestra is only 13, and then it ranges all through um, very experienced college players. Um, who are enrolled at the academy in the in the um, SKLE College um, there. And so there's a wide range of experience, but across the board, a very high level of ability. And standing in front of them and working with them is just a joy every time. Mm, that's actually great to hear. And are you a big fan of Tchaikovsky's works? I am. It's really timeless music. It's just so beautiful. And to be able to lead these young players, most of them have never played this repertoire. Even though it's so famous, um, they're starting out on their journeys as orchestral musicians. And uh, so it feels like a real privilege to introduce them to the repertoire. Mm. And is it quite a difficult repertoire to master? I would say so, yeah. A lot of it's quite technical. Um, all of the instruments have their own challenges, um, but they are also featured in their own way. There's nobody that's purely accompanimental in this music, so everybody has a real challenge to sink their teeth into, but they're absolutely rising to it. Right, right. That's great to hear. Yeah. And, um, I mean, kind of going into a little bit of what you hope that audience members here in Vancouver will um, get out of your guys' performance. Like, do you yeah. think that um, this is kind of a show that more kind of seasoned uh, Vancouver VAM, VAM fans will be mm -hmm. into, or is this kind of like a good opening for um, the general Vancouver public? I think it's absolutely both. There's something for everybody. The music has quite a lot of depth and substance um, and emotion behind it. There's a lot of struggle that's in the music that is eventually overcome, and the way that Tchaikovsky paints that in music is just an emotional journey for the audience. It's quite, um, it's quite gripping. And also for new orchestral audience members, they're just going to love it because they will, I think, surprise themselves in, in knowing it so well. Um, so even if this is your first orchestral concert, um, you won't feel that it's totally unfamiliar. Mm. What is actually, sorry to interrupt, but what is actually your favorite piece among all the you know, different, I guess, um, songs? That's a hard question. I, I know, I'm going them for all the big guns. in different ways. But <laughs> um, I would say... For me, the most challenging, and, and mm -hmm. perhaps that's why I might cite this as if I had to pick a favorite, would be the concerto, because mm -hmm. um, collaborating with an artist of the caliber of Amanda, who is a phenomenal um, pianist, is a real thrill for me. So to work with her on stage and to, to find the balance of where I follow her and where she follows me, and we're both kind of leading this massive work in partnership, and the orchestra is a part of that too, of course. So um, I would say that's one of the most thrilling things for me on this program. Mm. And I was actually very quite like impressed to 
kind of see how internationally renowned you are as a <laughs> conductor. Um, and so I was kind of curious about how your previous conducting experiences has helped you um, kind of help create this new piece. Yeah. Um, in what ways has your previous experiences shaped um, the way that you um, are kind of experiencing this new Tchaikovsky um, kind of yeah. performance? That's a very good question. I think my background is quite diverse. Um, I'm a singer, and then, of course, I, I did my undergraduate at UBC in composition. Um, and then in the last few years is when I've really started pursuing conducting, both of choirs and of orchestras. Um, so I think I bring, a, a as a singer, a kind of lyrical quality, which is appropriate for Tchaikovsky with these beautiful soaring melodies, I, as a singer, can feel them in my voice while I'm conducting them. And um, so that has been quite a lot of fun to sort of bring those worlds uh, together. Yeah. Right, right. And um, kind of as a uh, final couple of few questions, can yeah. you remind our listeners um, where they could get tickets, what days the shows are going to be on, and where it's at? Yes, so the concert is on Sunday afternoon, that's this Sunday, November 22nd, at 2 o'clock, and it's at the Orpheum downtown. Um, you can get tickets by going to the Vancouver Academy of Music website, which is vam.ca, V-A-M dot C-A, and there'll be all kinds of links there, and you can uh, find your tickets there, and they're very affordable. Hmm, fantastic. Are, is there a special pricing for UBC students? I actually don't know the answer to that question um but i know even the full price tickets are are really not not nearly as expensive as mm -hmm. as you would pay to see any other orchestra in town so um definitely check it out and there are multiple tiers of pricing so i'm sure that anybody who wants to go to this will be able to to afford that for sure fantastic it does sound like something that all of our listeners should go out um, yeah. to see this week. Um, for yourself, is, are you, you lined up for any more VAM, um, VAM performances? Are you going to be doing a little bit more um, things here and around Vancouver for the, That's for right. the upcoming year? Yeah, well, um, part of, I've actually just relocated back here mm. um, in September, and part of my position at VAM will be to start a choral program. So we're going to be creating a choral educational program, a set of choirs for all ages, um, and that will be a big part of my involvement at the Academy um, to get those off the ground and up and running and to figure out how we can create a choral Scene, uh, a choral program that, that supports the really vibrant scene in Vancouver already. And then I'll, I'll certainly be involved with the orchestra on an ongoing basis as well. Right. Awesome. Well, we will be sure, the Arts Report will be sure to keep our eye out for that. Um, thank you so much for telling us about the show. And um, we know that it's going to be an amazing performance on Yeah, Sunday. it sounds amazing, actually. A lot of them. Um Basically, especially around this time, it's so nice to like listen to some classical music, kind of evoke that sense of like holidays. Yes, kind absolutely. Of I think it's a great way to kind of launch into the season. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for the interview. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Bye. We will be right back after a few short commercials, Arts Reporter listeners, and um, our next guest will be Julie Van Oyen. <laughs> Thank you. 
this is my life. I I wake up in the morning, I eat, I sleep, I shit. Breakfast with the Browns. So whatever it is, but I never shut it off for five minutes. I can't wait to impress my friends with my astounding knowledge of cool. Join your favorite Brownsters and tune in and listen to the best selection of down-tempo electro-pop lunch core. Strictly Squaresville. Remember. Subtle. Basic. Brown. Breakfast with the Browns. On CITR 101.9 FM. Every Monday morning. From 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. The older I get, the more life starts to make sense, and the less I care. Now we're riding the rainbow and we're making it like young. Now we're riding the rainbow to Cloudsville, and we're making it like young. Now we're riding the rainbow to Cloudsville. You know, you can give a hundred examples of what it isn't, but you man, you're gonna have a hell of a time saying what it is. And welcome back to the Arts Report. Joining us live in studio, we have Julie Van Oyen, a UBC grad, and also an artist at the 19th Annual Eastside Cultural Crawl, which is happening actually starting tomorrow, the 19th to the 22nd. It promotes creative works of um, artists in East Vancouver. You have illustrators, potters, sculptors, glassblowers, photographers, all artists. And Julie Van Oyen is one of them. First of all, hello and welcome to the show, Julie. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. First of all, I wanted to ask about your focus at UBC. What did you take at UBC, and which mediums of art will we encounter from you at the Eastside Cultural Crawl? Okay, uh, well, my experience at UBC included a uh, bachelor's degree in kinesiology, Mm -hmm. uh, which I took between 2007 and 2012. And uh, the kind of works that you can expect to see from me uh, over the next four days include um, mostly wood-burned pieces, mm-hmm. uh, so it's similar to illustration, um, but instead of using pen, ink, or graphite, I actually burn the designs uh, with a hot tool into the surface of the wood. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how did you actually get involved with the Eastside Cultural Crawl? It's, it's your first time, right? It is, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, well, this is the first year that I work within the boundaries of the Culture Crawl oh, okay. uh, within Strathcona. I work for Maker Labs, which is a new location this year. Mm -hmm. It's a makerspace, which provides access to tools to the public and has a custom fabrication side as well. And and then because you're in that region, that's how you kind of got into the Eastside Cultural Exactly, yeah. We, Mm -hmm. um, in the spring, Maker Labs moved to Strathcona from Mount Pleasant, and that kind of opened up the door for myself and uh, several other artists. Yeah, very Uh, local, very local. And... Actually, speaking about your art, what inspires your art pieces? You said you actually have a piece of wood, then you burn it with an illustration. Like, can you explain your artistic, you know, process? Sure. Um, it usually involves um, an inspiration from either nature, so mm-hmm. botanical design or something like that, um, or it kind of harkens back to my days in kinesiology at UBC, learning about anatomy and physiology of the human body, because I do have several pieces that have kind of um, 
you know, bones or tissues that mm-hmm. uh, I learned about in my degree. I actually saw one of your pieces, very beautiful for, um, unfortunately, our listeners can't see because radio is not a visual medium, but I got <laughs> to see it. Uh, it was a plank of wood. I'm going to try my best to describe it. And then you had like a line of teeth. Yeah. And I don't know why, but it was very like, it was very like <laughs> resonating. And I was like seeing it. And I was like, that's yeah, so cool. for sure. Like, yeah. I definitely experienced this uh, during my time uh, learning about the human body at UBC. Uh, we just we have such a unique um, kind of relationship with our own anatomy and the anatomy of other humans. Mm-hmm. And so, what definitely inspires me are these kind of funny, quirky parts of the human body. So, I also have a piece that depicts the inner ear, and <laughs> it's it's kind of fun uh-huh. to play around with these pieces um, in isolation or these body parts in isolation and how they can kind of be arranged. Um, separate from the body like mm-hmm. these teeth were all in a in a row yeah. on a, on an old plank. Do yeah. you do you usually when you when you see a piece of wood do you kind of go like that would make a really good canvas or how how did how did wood actually get into your artistic, you know, process? Oh, well, I love um, woodworking mm-hmm. and I just I love the the kind of sensory experience that it affords to both the artist and the viewer um, mm-hmm. compared to paper. It's just, it's so tactile. It smells great, especially when you're burning it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it actually, it's a great experience. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the pieces themselves are so durable. Like, I don't mind at all if a viewer wants to touch it and feel the texture mm-hmm. that's kind of brought out by the, the method. Yeah. I see. And then you the, you use hot tools to yeah. draw into. Do you actually draw into it? Like, how, how does that work? Yeah, so it's it's similar to ink um, or using a pen, but mm-hmm. instead of adding pressure to get a darker line, you actually slow your movement oh, across the surface wow. of the wood, and it burns more. Yeah, sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. And one thing about your you know with your art style, are there any like are you actually part of an art workshop or an installation at the uh, Eastside Cultural Crawl? Um, yeah, actually, there oh, was great. a preview show. Uh, there is currently a preview show mm-hmm. up at the Fire Hall Art Center um, that was kind of um, open to artists who are new this year. So the title of the show is Learning to Crawl. Mm-hmm. And myself <laughs> and one other artist from Maker Labs um, were fortunate enough to be chosen to put pieces up in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll be up until early December, I think. Okay, oh, great. So people can still kind of witness the type of art that you guys do. Yeah. Great. And... Um, how do artists actually get to engage in the presentation of their art? Well, um, the festival is really um, kind of a massive tour of studios. Mm-hmm. So each artist has a studio or a workplace where the public can actually come and see them work. And so the artist really has, you know, a lot of control over how they want that space to look. And, you know, they already spend a lot of time there. So it's it's really a unique view that the public gets to get of of the artist and kind of sees, they can kind of see inside their method and their head and instead of just seeing the result of uh, the I work. See, I yeah. see. Basically, they get to see the environment the, process, the yeah. artist is in. Exactly, yeah. And did you actually get to work with the executive director, you know, Esther Rosenberg of the Culture Call or unfortunately, no? Um, well, somewhat um, indirectly, actually. I know that Maker Labs actually helped out with creating the Eastside Eats. Uh, it's, oh, wow. It's, yeah, it's a recipe yeah. book that the Culture Crawl uh-huh. uh, <laughs> made, and they kind of pulled artists in to, you know, bring their best recipes, and they mm-hmm. and they published it. And Maker Labs actually laser etched the cover of, of the recipe book. That's really yeah. cool. Did yeah. Maker Labs also kind of put in a recipe there, too? I don't think so, no. Okay. It's no. okay. You guys had, like, the cover. Yeah. That's all right. That's, that's some bragging rights over there. <laughs> and um, I know definitely you have 
a um a you know workshop esque sort of thing with the um present with the presentation that yeah. they have for you guys. Are there any other maybe artists that you're excited about? Well, I'm really excited actually to see my fellow makers at Maker Labs uh, mm -hmm. show their work to the public because I see them working so hard and creating these beautiful pieces and mm -hmm. I get to see their studio and it'll be really cool for me to actually see them interact with members of the public coming in and visiting their spaces. So I'll be really proud of them too. And I actually want to ask, where can we find you? Because I know it, it spans about, mm -hmm. like, you know, Gastown, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like people can walk around and everything. Mm -hmm. Where can we find you specifically and maybe, you know, other, you know, other artists at Maker Studios? Okay. Uh, so Maker Labs, the building, uh, mm -hmm. is um, on 780, so 780 East Cordova. It's basically just behind the Astoria Hotel, so mm -hmm. just on the north side of the hotel. And uh, the East Side Culture Crawl website actually has like a PDF version of their print guide, which has a map inside. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of in the upper left area of the culture crawl. And within Maker Labs, uh, so if, you know, if the public arrives to Maker Labs, they uh, can expect to see a map that will kind of oh, show okay. within the building Great, where the various yeah. studios are. Um, and mine, as well as several other more fine arts um slanted uh, studios are upstairs it's a bit of a quieter and less dusty environment mm -hmm. and actually uh, downstairs so on the main floor there are several woodworkers and the public will get to see our wood shop oh and, wow and stuff basically like that. Yeah. they get to see you know art in action almost. yeah yeah that's so cool mm -hmm. and this is definitely just like the beginning for you obviously are mm -hmm. there any other you know art events that you are you know looking to um, participate in or maybe already am a part of yeah, I've, I'm always kind of uh, looking around town for open calls to artists and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I've been a part of Hot Art Wet Cities, um, okay. open calls to artists. Mm -hmm. uh, coming up in the spring, maybe a few markets. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit late for Christmas markets. But yeah, yeah I mean, in, an, in a year's time, I'd love to be part of a few markets and not just the crawl. And how can, how can maybe, you know, uh, listeners, especially because they can't see it, how can they find your art? They can find my art on my website. It's mm -hmm. burnandyonder.com. Mm -hmm. All yeah. one word? Yes. All, all right. Mm -hmm. And I really, uh, I, if you guys are really into sort of this sort of like, I, I don't know how to like kind of like describe it. Like it's like a bit of like nature with he, like the humanness. I don't know how to, it was really great. There's like a nature and humanness touch that you put into your pieces. I really recommend that if you guys are interested to check out the um, East Side Cultural Crawl, Julie Van Oyen, you can check her website out. Very, very, very beautiful pieces. Thank you so much. Now, I do have one more question sure. for you. I think it's so cool that you had a degree in kinesiology and you're incorporating that into visual art, which is not something that you would think would mm. go together very naturally. I'm a student at UBC, and I don't know where my degree is going to take me, but I was wondering, did you know when you were studying kinesiology that you'd end up being an artist? And do you still do professional work with your kinesiology degree that isn't, you know, like freelance art? Um, during my time at UBC and my kinesiology degree, I didn't know that I would be kind of um, – you know, gangbusters into uh -huh. art within three years of graduating. And I um, don't currently practice my kinesiology um, degree in any way. 
no. But you uh, practice it in a creative way. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's actually um, kind of, I love the idea of the flexibility of your post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved my time at UBC and I loved all my classes and I just loved the science of, of the human body. Um, but when the time came actually to transition and to choose, you know, a real world application for that degree, I actually found myself not as excited as I thought I would be about the options that I had available Mm -hmm. to me. So I started kind of um, exploring. I've always been, I've always drawn and I've always been interested in illustration. Okay, so you're always, you're always inspired by art. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of um, felt like it was time to cater a little bit more to that side Mm -hmm. of myself. And yeah, and it's actually been really cool to retro respectively look back and see the connection between the two. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for those wise words. <laughs> and it's great to hear about your experience, and we are excited to... Mm-hmm. Um, Again, for those listening, it is the Eastside Cultural Crawl. It's their 19th annual year. It starts tomorrow, November the 19th until the 22nd. Please check out Maker Labs. Please check out Julie Van Oyen. And we will be right back with another few short commercial breaks. You like friends. Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, it gets you all kinds of deals with our friends downtown, like 10% off at Bang On T-shirts, Beat Street Records, Studio Records, Community Thrift and Vintage, The Fall Tattooing, and more. Visit CITR.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. Has mental illness or addiction touched your life? You might be interested in coming out to the Kaleidoscope, UBC's first and only student-created, peer-run mental health support group at the university's Vancouver campus. They offer a stigma-free place for people to share their stories with others going through similar experiences. The Kaleidoscope meets every week on Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. at the Center for Student Involvement in Brock Hall. Learn more at the-kaleidoscope.com. AMS Food Bank. Your access to money during the studies at UBC will most likely be limited, but it is a priority of the AMS Food Bank to ensure your access to food is not. The AMS Food Bank provides emergency food relief seven days a week for all UBC students. To volunteer with the Food Bank or for inquiries about how to take advantage of the services provided, contact them at foodbank at ams.ubc.ca. For more information, find the AMS Food Bank on Facebook or feel free to visit anytime. My name is David Scott. I play wide receiver for the University of British Columbia football team, and I'm here to discuss the Be More Than a Bystander program. Myself and a few other players were lucky enough to work alongside the BC Lions and EVA, the Ending Violence Association, to support this cause. The main goal of the Be More Than a Bystander initiative is to increase awareness of domestic violence against women. For more information on the cause, please visit endingviolence.org. 
Welcome back, arts reporter listeners. Our next guest is um, Shaquille Chowdhury, who is here to talk about his recently published book, Deep Diversity. Hi, Shaquille. Hey, how are you? Good. Thank you very much for um, coming on our show today. Can you tell us about the book, Deep Diversity? Sure. Uh, It's premised uh, on the question, what if our interactions with people we consider to be different than ourselves are influenced by things happening below the radar of awareness, hidden even from ourselves. And, um, and basically what, uh, what this book uh, really is to do is to, is to help us have a, uh, a practical, a scientific, and a compassionate conversation about um, systemic discrimination and racism. Hmm. And what inspired you to write this book? Was it a lot of personal experiences or um, a mixture of kind of what was going on in the world as well? Well, um, what inspired me, I guess I've been involved in this work for about two decades. And, uh, and, uh, and so, I mean, my personal experiences growing up in, uh, uh, in small town Canada, uh, certainly played a part of that, which is that I grew up basically um, believing and pretending that I was white and middle class like mm-hmm. anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and it didn't, it wasn't until actually um, um, when I was beyond my undergrad, you know, in mid twenties that I started actually uncovering uh, this other part of myself and understanding that, uh, um, that, you know, that uh, discrimination, that racism, that, uh, that, um, uh, systematic oppression uh, marginalizes all kinds of groups of people in society based on 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 uh, on race, on gender, on class, on sexual orientation, all these different things. So that that was a real pivotal moment that really moved me into uh, into doing this work. I, I was an educator, I was a professionally trained tr- teacher, and it's really um, aligned with my education. So I, I did that for I've been doing that for a long time. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. It seems like you do have a lot of um, experience and background knowledge on this topic. And um, one of the cool things that I saw about the book was that this was a culmination of your learning from thousands of people across four continents. Um, can you tell me about how the experience of racism and discrimination vary from society to society? I mean, is it quite common that there's a base of understanding among people who face this kind of um, this kind of struggle, um, and how much variation is there? Uh, it's it's a good question. Um, so, in every society, there's something there's a there's a different outgroup. There's a different um, there's a different group that's on the bottom of the pyramid. Would every you call society, them a minority? Oh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So there there's always dominant groups. And and there are minority groups below them, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's and uh, you know dominant groups exist because of really it, it's a fluke of history and politics and economics and military might and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and um, and and what is common is that there's an us them tendency and the language that's used across. Um, all these continents, whether it's in South America, uh, work we've done in Brazil, or sorry, in in um, in Bolivia, whether it's the work that I've done in in uh, Pakistan, South Asia, that that um, that there's a particular language that ends up being used that really is in the frame of us 
in them. And we see that, of course, today. It's really, really pronounced, especially in a post-Paris moment, yes. in which, once again, the anti-Muslim, the anti-Islamophobic. Uh, is yeah. is definitely high right now, and I'm not sure what's happened in Vancouver, but certainly, you know, in in the in the Greater Toronto area where I'm based, um, you know, there's been a mosque that's been burned. There's been uh, you know, wow. woman that's been attacked, um, uh, picking up her kids, and uh, the hijab pulled off, and uh, you know, her 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 literally being beaten up. And uh, and being told to go to go back to her country, even though she was born here, um, you know. So 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 these sentiments are are on the uh, are always there. Now, what what my research shows is that uh, regardless of how advanced we are in in society, um, we are always vulnerable to us versus them. It's actually a neurological. Um, element that that plays out. It's part of the design of our brain, mm-hmm. and so what what ends up happening is that. Um, uh, as soon as we put people into the camp of the other, uh, the out group, um, what starts happening is that neurologically brain scans show that we tend to register those groups and individuals more as objects than people. Okay. And that's the first and important step in dehumanizing a group of people. And that's what we're seeing right now. And and as soon as we dehumanize a group of people, that is uh, that is the... Uh, the first and most important step in in basically giving a license to do whatever we want to them. And again, what the research shows is that we have less empathy for people we consider to be part of our outgroups. We judge more harshly. We punish more harshly. Mm-hmm. And that's where individual acts of, of discrimination, racism, sexism, homophobia, all those things start playing out. Indifference plays out. Violent acts can play out. Um, and uh, and what's also important to note is that, you know, the, the who the them is or the out group is or the other is, that's also not by fluke. That is about structural discrimination. That's about colonization. That's about history and politics and power all playing together. Uh, and, and it's, you know, groups that have lower rungs on the, on the social ladder. So this is something that is inherently an intimate part of all of us. And so the way that I, the way that I talk about it is that, you know, right now there's always um, the, the perpetrator that exists within us, the possibility of that perpetrator, the possibility of the of the oppressor, the possibility of the terrorist, mm-hmm. and and the less aware we are of it, the more likely it'll play out, and um, and so we see that happening. We see that in the context of of Paris. I mean, the, the terrorists themselves had to had to dehumanize people in order to to be able to target them as brutally and ruthlessly as they did. That's that's mm-hmm. that's the mo of of, of dehumanizing. Um, and yet, at the same time, that also exists within all of us. We always have that potential. And so, um, uh, when it's the microaggressions, the small slights in our in our in our workplace or learning space, right through to the aggressive acts that we see out there, all of that is part of that same mechanism of us and them. So, I really invite all of us to consider those moments where we see or, or don't see people, where we turn them into. As soon as we start using the language of they and them, that pretty much should be a clue that that we are on the road of see of the us and them and that that's that's always a vulnerability we have so bringing conscious awareness to that is really important in this work would would there be any ways to kind of ameliorate that sort of impulse within us or is there really kind of no way unless we learn how to i guess connect because you said it's inherent that we learn how to like disassociate and disconnect so is learning to connect the answer? Oh, it's one of the answers. It's, it's a very important part. 
Um, it's about bringing, for, first of all, bring intention and conscious awareness to mm-hmm. our otherwise unconscious impulses, our unconscious biases, our unconscious prejudices. Um, so it's bringing conscious attention to that. Um, noticing those moments where we where we are using the language of they and always challenge ourselves to use the language of we. Um, uh, the second thing is to really think about compassion and 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 consciously building relationships and consciously building relationships not with just people who are like us but people who are way different than us who even at times might make us feel uncomfortable but to build those relationships across those differences and and because over time what might make us initially uncomfortable over time and practice and 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 connection um it doesn't feel so uncomfortable anymore um so that that's that's important so yes there's there's lots of things we can do but it starts with noticing noticing um uh how we act and react uh to, to others and then and then really being intentional about it and learning about our biases and learning about um our unconscious um uh, prejudice and uh and to, and to illustrate let me just let me just bring myself into the picture really clearly so i'm not just talking theoretically so mm-hmm. so for example um uh uh i was working in a in a in a, in a big organization as a, as a as a consultant i came in we developed a long 18-month uh, uh, program with them, and uh, my contact person in the organization changed. And all I was told about the new contact person was that they were um, – uh, it was a white man with a disability. That's what I was told. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I went to meet this person, a lovely guy. I'll, I'll say his name is Mike. We had a great conversation, set up the year, set up the programming. And I also happened to notice uh, the wheelchair and also that he had paraplegia in his legs. And I didn't see him again for two months. And when I did see him the next time, I was getting set up at the front of the room, and and uh, and I noticed that he was walking towards me. And I was what? really confused. I was, what? And uh-huh. yes, and and he was walking with a gait like there's an irregular rhythm to his movements. Mm-hmm. Um, there was paraplegia, but I was surprised that he he wasn't using his wheelchair. And I and I asked him. I said, "Whoa, Mike!" But I didn't know your wheelchair was optional uh, or that you didn't always use it. And he looked at me and he smiled and he kind of said, uh, Shaquille, I don't have a wheelchair. I've never had a wheelchair. And I was super confused because in my head, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I mean, in that whole time, that meeting, you know, he was seated in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then this uncomfortable memory emerged. Um, and, and then I suddenly remembered Mike greeting me at that original meeting at the entrance and him and I walking together to the meeting room. And it was at that moment that I had actually first noticed the paraplegia in his legs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet my mind replaced fact with fiction. And why that is, is because the stereotype of man with disability equals man with wheelchair was so strong in my head that I literally um, created a wheelchair where there was none. And that's actually the power of our stereotypes. That's actually the power of our prejudice is that we can literally um, make up stuff. We can misinterpret. We can make believe. We can miss entire segments of reality. As I said, replace fact with fiction. That is how the unconscious mind works. That's how unconscious bias and attitudes and preferences play out. It affects mm-hmm. all of us, even um, people who, like me whose life work is about looking at issues of difference and diversity and, and, um, and working on issues of inclusion. And so I really invite us to recognize this is, 
a part of the human journey. It's a part of the human vulnerability. Uh, and this is how it will play out. And so we bring awareness and conscious awareness and acceptance, first of all, that we have these biases and these prejudices and, 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 that, and that we can do something about them, but we've got to be on the lookout for them, not if they emerge, but when they emerge. Because again, because it's at this unconscious level, the, where, the less aware we are of it, the more likely it will play out. Now, when you're talking about kind of the indicators of when you are disassociating yourself from a certain group of people, I almost immediately remembered the rhetoric of they, them, mm-hmm. among state leaders who are talking about the fight against ISIS. And exactly. I was wondering, to some extent that is justified because that is the focus, that is almost the Western world's current biggest enemy at the moment. Um, so is there a limit to that kind of, is there a certain limit to the justification you can place on calling a certain group of people the they and the them because of the atrocities that they've committed? Or is there some kind of a Or would, you know, would, ad- yeah, would addressing them with they, them only hurt the cause is what you're saying, right? Well, it's, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, there's no doubt, you know, the, the butchers uh, and, uh, and, the, uh, um, and the, the extremely violent, you know, people that are behind ISIS, um, that, you know, they are a danger to the world, right? So there's no doubt about that. The only problem is that in because of the us-them dynamic, because of media, because of history, because of racism, because of uh, anti-Muslim uh, uh, sentiments, um, ISIS is associated with mainstream Islam. And mm-hmm. so as a, result, um, as a result, as soon as leaders start talking about it in the way that they talk about it, which is very much an us-them kind of um, manner and, and, and rhetoric, and what happens is that... Is that uh, that gives license to then automatically make these connections where that's right. Anyone who wears a hijab is, is a potential outsider. Right. And, and so we, we've taken this and I contrast that with, for example, um, the KKK and white supremacist groups, which mm-hmm. according to uh, uh, reports in both Canada and U S are, are actually, and it might be hard for your listeners to believe given the fact that, you know, we're in a post Paris moment, but, but, White supremacist hate groups um, and radical right-wing groups are, in fact, a much bigger threat uh, in the in the Canadian and North and U.S. context than mm-hmm. than uh, ISIS or anybody else. Um, there's a higher body count. There's more criminality. There's more death. It's like there's there's more evidence of this, but we don't hear about it. And if we do, here's what happens: KKK immediately because. Uh, because of the dominance of, of white culture and Christian culture, when, when the KKK and white supremacist groups show up, and even if they talk about you know, the fact that we're God's chosen and we use the Bible, which many of these groups use to justify their actions, um, we immediately go, these folks are outsiders. They're outliers. They're, mm-hmm. they're not normal, right? We don't associate them with mainstream Christianity. We don't main, and we shouldn't, and we don't, um, we don't associate them with white people in general. We just, we immediately see them as fringe. We see them as radicals. We see them as, as, as outliers and extremists. Yet we don't seem to do the same thing with ISIS. ISIS and the KKK are, are like the same group, it's the same people, it's the same 
hatred. These are political groups that that have very little to do with with anything that's based in religion or anything else. They're 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 violent, marginalized groups that have you know really distorted views on the world. And we should always associate those things together and recognize that that's at play. That 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 you know if there ever is an outsider, like it's the groups that are perpetrating that kind of violence. It's not mainstream Canadians who happen to be Muslim or happen to be Arab or happen to be black. We talk mm-hmm. about anti-black racism or happen to be Aboriginal, but we have these stereotypes. And unless we are aware that our tendency is to see the world in stereotypes, our tendency is to see the world um, through the filters of bias and prejudice, then everything will feel justified. But if we can insert that question mark by bringing conscious attention to those times when we do, um, then then it, it, you know, we can do something about it. And this is also, you know, um, uh, you know, we're in a, we're in a post Paris moment, mm-hmm. but you know, it, you know, prior to this, we've been talking about the anti-black racism. We've been talking about, uh, you know, the encounters that many black and Aboriginal uh, uh, men, especially, have with police. Mm-hmm. And in those moments uh, where there's tragedies and there's bullets flying and, and young men of color dying uh, at the hands of police. Um, in those moments, uh, the police unconsciously are seeing danger and threat and even aggression where there isn't any. Just like I created a wheelchair where there wasn't one, they're mm-hmm. creating um, this sense that there might be danger and threat because they haven't worked on their bias and their tendencies. And that's a part that's really supported by systemic um, and institutionalized discrimination and racism and oppression overall. Mm-hmm. Right. We let our imaginations run wild sometimes. Um, That's right. We don't want to keep you too long. And before we um, ask you about your upcoming visit to Vancouver to talk more about your book, um, I just have one quick question about structural racism and and systematic discrimination against certain minorities within a certain country. Um, I think microaggression can be combated, like you said, with being more conscious and uh, having the public more educated. Do you think that systematic oppression can only be changed kind of from the top down? Do you think that that kind of big social structural change must come from the political leaders? Well, I mean, change never comes from one direction. Usually mm-hmm. change comes from the margins if it comes from anywhere, right? I mean, that's generally how change happens. A small group of people in the margins see the need for it and then build up and it usually then affects the center. Um, it rarely goes the other way around. However, in this work around creating more justice in society, everybody is needed. People who are working inside the system, outside the system, people at the top, people at the bottom, at the grassroots, every level is needed because no one group can do it. We, I work in organizations, big organizations, organizations that have like, you know, more than 50,000 people in their in their uh, in their in their workplace they have some of the most amazing policies you could possibly see very very structured like laws and all this kind of stuff generally um uh ways people should behave and yet within the organization that practice isn't there so it can't just be a top-down process it needs the top it needs policies it needs government it it needs resources and money and political will and it needs the grassroots, and it needs everybody in between. So it needs everybody to be part of the part of the solution, not just one group. Right, right. Well, thank you so much, Shaquille, for um, sharing with us your thoughts today. Do you um, can you tell our listeners 
uh, when and where you're going to be here in Vancouver to talk more about um, what we just talked about. Well, actually, um, my book launch in Vancouver already took place, and that was in uh, that was the day after the election. It was actually October the 20th. So I don't have plans that are firm at the moment, but I suspect mm-hmm. that I will be back um, in the spring. And if not the spring, then for sure in the fall. There's some groups and organizations I've been talking to that uh, that are interested in having me back. So, uh, but if people are interested, they can go to um, the book website, which is uh, uh, deepdiversity.org, uh, or they can also check out the organization that um, uh, that I co-founded, which is uh, animaleadership.com. That's A-N-I-M-A leadership.com. So um, those are places that you can get more information about where and when and, 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 um, and also uh, where you can get the book, mm-hmm. which is actually available online and that kind of stuff through chapters and Amazon and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Fantastic. Well, we do look forward to um, hearing about more of what you do, I guess, um, mm-hmm. now that your book is out and with the world kind of moving it, forward. It, basically, it's a very hard topic to talk about, but we're happy that you're talking about it. Thanks so much for having me here on the show. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. We have just a couple more things for you, arts reporters, before we end off our show. Our show is going to be a bit longer because Sharing Science does not have an episode featured today. Um, So please stay tuned. We have another couple commercials and we'll be right back. I know you guys missed us, so here we are. G101 is a student-run organization here to educate the public about the benefits of hemp and cannabis. Fast fact! Hemp is a renewable, sustainable source of food and fiber. Fast fact! Your body contains anandamide, which is part of the same family of substances as THC. To learn more, look us up on Facebook at www.facebook.com groups slash hempology 101 UBC or come to one of our great events. And don't forget... Legalization through education. Welcome back, Arts Reporter listeners. As promised, we have more great things on our show today. We didn't have a show on Remembrance Day, and here we are making up for it. Jake, our Arts Reporter, has news for you guys. Well, firstly, um, there's the usual shows at the norm. Today, there's a Stanley Kubrick double feature. Ooh. Yeah, there's... Well, there's a Shining, as yeah, you might expect, yeah. but the first one on at 7 o'clock is The Killing, which I highly recommend. And it's actually not one of his most violent movies. It's really? Got, it's got Sterling Hayden in it. It's, actually, it's very good. It's, uh, it's Apparently, it's really inspirational to Reservoir Dogs, um, which is, and you can say yeah, a lot of things are inspirational to Reservoir Dogs. But mm-hmm. The Killing, it's about a heist. It's told and cut up, I believe. I have not actually seen The Killing in its entirety. That's what I'm going to do tonight. And now on uh, Saturday, there is a Canucksploitation double feature. Because you know how there's an exploitation genre for everything. There's uh, there's your different kinds. Like there's very specific. There's Filipino women in prison exploitation. That's really specific. Yeah, th- th- there's a lot of it too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know this. Uh, don't, don't ask me how I know this. Uh, <laughs> but this is uh, Canadian. A lot of Canadian movies, and these ones are not Final Sacrifice. I'm I'm a mystery science theater fan. Uh-huh. I was hoping no no Final Sacrifice, but they do have Porkies. Okay. Uh, 80s sex comedy, and they have mm-hmm. Bone Cup, Bad Cup. 
I love Bunko Fat yep. Cop. With fellow Ontarian, um, Colm Fior, who mm-hmm. my parents have actually met the guy. He's a, he's a very good actor. I, I highly recommend Bunko Bad Cop. It's so good. Yep, solid movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the day after that, there is a, well, uh, one that I'm personally pretty excited about uh, is, uh, oh, they moved that. <laughs> well, after that, there is something I've been thinking about at any rate. It's uh, Trey Mark, Matt Stone and Trey Parker double feature. And I'm not a huge uh-huh. South Park fan. But these are some of their other movies, Basketball and... Oh, yeah, I heard of Basketball. Yeah, and it's uh, apparently they make a new sport by, according to the program, fusing golf and soccer. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's it's okay. I prefer their um, foray into the musical genre. Oh, with Cannibal the Musical? No, with Book of Mormon. I have not seen Book of Mormon. Okay, well, they... they, uh, they made it. <laughs> a friend of mine wanted to stage Cannibal the Musical, so there was that. At one point, I heard, like I heard of that, and uh-huh. I, I wanted to be in it. I, I'm I I'm tone deaf though. I'm, <laughs> I have a four note vocal range, but they're not together. So. You could be like an extra. It could be, yeah. Mm-hmm. Could be one of the cannibals. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they have these two apparently, and then Team America World Police apparently this satire of international relations told with yeah. marionette puppets. Mm-hmm. Yay! That's always cool. You don't get more collegiate than that. Yeah. But. In a very different domain of entertainment, um, I saw Manon at the UBC Opera the uh, last week and uh, the week before last. Sorry, the week before mm-hmm. this, and it was it. We saw it. Um, Christina and I both saw it, and it was a, it was an intriguing show. We had the tenor, a fellow Philippe. Yes, the, he was on the arts report. Yep, he's the lead, and he talked about the show. Yep. And I saw the show, and he just hit the nail right on the head because, well, one, it's a, it is. He's, he was mentioning about the sexism of Menon. Like okay, the, yeah, we're the, we're just jumping right into it. Yeah, the opera, Menon's yeah, he, sexist. That that's what uh, that's uh, I, that's something that hit me pretty hard because okay. I, I don't know a lot about opera, so I was trying to read into the text as much and uh, mm-hmm. as I could, and there was that. It was really there. There was this huge double standard thing. Yeah, feel feel free to let it out. Let us know. Well, it's because uh, the story is about a girl named Menon, and she starts uh, the opera. She's going to a convent, and she gets swayed by this guy to uh, to leave with her. This guy's a nice guy, um, so she ends up living with him. But then his dad orders him abducted because his dad basically thinks he's wasting his life. Uh-huh. So she goes and becomes sort of like I, like I don't a heroine, know. like a prototype heroine. Not really. No, oh, she doesn't. All right. She's kind of. Tugged around by the men in the story, which uh, is something okay, that okay. I didn't... like an object of sexual kind of yeah. yeah. yeah it was, it. It's never shown if she's a prostitute, but there's it's there's some kind of implication there. Okay. Like she's she's a coquette, and mm-hmm. um, there's that, and she enjoys living well is the thing. That's a big thing, and this is played up in Manon as being is kind of uh, like almost a deviant quality. Okay, for her to enjoy living well, which you know, for, the, for the French. Um, in this case, uh, it includes a lot of a lot of gambling, a lot of high spirits, and you know mm-hmm. I've, I've read Dangerous Liaisons. I can presume the incest and recreational cruelty come in later. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> the uh, it was, it's it's that a lot of it's gambling is an interesting thing because okay. towards the end, this guy gets abducted. She doesn't do anything about it. She she can't really do anything about it. But she knew about it beforehand. She didn't do anything mm-hmm. so that he wouldn't get hurt. Basically, so she becomes a cockette. He becomes a priest. Okay. And um, she kind of sees him again. They fall back in love, and he kind of abandons the orders. But yeah, yeah. The same if you're a priest, night, like yeah, you know. it's not gonna. He's, he's yeah. a Catholic priest. What's he gonna? What's he gonna say? And it's it's that's a one shot deal. As soon as you walk out of the priesthood, you can't come back. Yep. So he uh, he goes to a casino with her and her cousin, who's uh, who's a policeman. He's a watchman, basically. Okay. 
he um, he's there, and the uh, the male love interest, who's, who's played by the Philippe Tenor fellow, yes, he's there, and so uh, and then again, he's recently defrocked. He has no money, so what he does is he wins really well mm-hmm. until this one guy who's kind of an antagonist. There's no there's not a huge antagonist in Menon, but it's uh, mm-hmm. if there is, this guy would be. He gets pissed off and calls c- calls him a cheater, and then that brings in the fuzz. Okay, and. Uh, both he and Manon get arrested. His father buys him out of the arrest. Ah, uh, yeah, but poor Manon is left. Yeah, and then she uh, she's stuck there. Eventually, her cousin bribes her out of it, but she dies of, um, well, realistically, probably of the you know damage caused by being wrapped in chains and being about to be carted off over the ocean. Mm-hmm. But because they'd be sent to uh, the New World, they'd be sent to the colonies, probably yeah. Haiti. Uh, and uh, then she dies in his arms at the end of it. It's not a really perky ending. Um, but she, like, in the description of it I read afterwards is that she dies of shame for the dishonor she's caused to this guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, that, that was, um, that was, that was kind of annoying to me personally. Because he, he took the chance to do these things. Like, he had, like, the thought, yeah, I want to do it. So, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of blamed on her. Like, you, yeah. you enjoy living well. You, uh, you enjoy the pleasures of life that come from socializing and gambling. How dare, it's, it almost reads off like a PSA. Mm-hmm. Like, like, reefer madness, but. With gambling and actually much better writing uh-huh, than Reefer Madness, yeah. yeah like Reefer it, Madness, it, come on. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, but Manoli is better written than Reefer Madness. I'll give you that. How but, about performed? How's it better performed? Per, per, now, I will say this about the performance because that I, I was going to start. I'm starting alone. I'm going to build up because every other yep. quality is a Mark Four. Like for one thing, uh, it's got this very bright, very colorful set, which oh, it was uh-huh. like really kind of almost fairy tale like. Like it had this almost kind of Disneyish flavor, which. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I personally liked because it was, it was very, very French. Okay. Seeming. It seemed very French. And then this, uh, and then the singers. So the, um, the lead, the girl who played Manon, she had a very powerful voice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Philippe, the, the tenor fellow, he, cause he's, um, he's, he was an opera singer beforehand and mm-hmm. he's coming back. So he had a slightly more finessed voice, I, I thought. And this is, this is coming from a guy who has not listened to a lot of opera. My uh-huh. favorite opera is Carmen cause it's the only one I've seen. Okay. <laughs> So that's that's pretty easy. But he had I, I, he had a very finessed voice. He had this excellent delivery. They all had a very good delivery. And again, I I, I enjoyed the show. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was the it was the material it was dealing with. I had trouble with. But yep. the like the the way it was played up, very good, very good performance. Like I could keep track of what was going on. And I thought mm-hmm. I'd have trouble reading the sub the um, yeah. Titles. It was an original French, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in it was an original French and. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I would have had no idea what they were ta- ta- saying until, but they had these things above where you could read the, uh, mm-hmm. the dialogue. Subtitles. Okay. I, I hesitate to say subtitles because they were yeah, over the thing. Up, they're yeah, they're called subtitles in French, which is up, but, you know, yeah, French, French, French. It's, it's, it's whatever, the French are, they're just, <laughs> but they, they, uh, okay. and they had those, and it was really good, I thought, the way they played because, they had this. It, it, I could look at. I could duck up to that and then look back down without feeling like I missed mm-hmm. anything. And I thought that was helpful. Oh, great! What about your experience, Christine? How did you enjoy uh, yeah, Manon? I've been sucking the air out of the room here. Well, I mean, Manon was almost not my very first opera performance, but okay. definitely I hadn't seen an opera performance in I think over ten years. So. Um, I kind of forgot how stylized opera was, and <laughs> uh-huh. being oh, yeah. so used to watching so many theatrical and musical performances, mm-hmm. I was a little bit taken aback, and it took 
time to get used to. <laughs> um, but that being said, I think uh, UBC Opera did a great job, and um, I definitely enjoyed the performance. Um, I do have another arts uh, event to share with all of our listeners today, and Ooh, that is, is Carmino. It is a Portuguese and Lusophone music performance that mm-hmm. is going to be on Saturday, November the 21st, so this Saturday at 8 p.m. at the Chan Shun Concert Hall. Mm-hmm. It um, features spirited guitarist and singer Sarah Tavers, um, as well as... Uh, nope, just Sarah. I, I'm sure there will be other musical uh, There will be featuring Sarah. Yes, but it featuring is Sarah. specifically um, featuring Sarah. And on our show today, we are going to be doing a ticket giveaway. A pair of tickets Ooh, is up for grabs for anyone who is listening to this right now. Um, all you have to do is email us at arts at citr.ca. That is arts at citr.ca. Or you can Twitter us at our handle at CITR underscore arts report. All, no spaces, at CITR underscore arts report. Um, just tweet us with the, uh, with the name of the person. With the name of the person, Sarah Tavers, and mm-hmm. the show name, Carmino. Mm-hmm. You don't have to spell it correctly, just sound it out. Um, these tickets are up for grabs, so please, please, please do contact us. The I haven't got a question. Do they say what a lusophone is? Um, that sounds like a really fun instrument. It does sound like a really fun instrument. And we were going to have Sarah on our show, but um, because of different scheduling issues, we couldn't. But please do find that out. Maybe we can Would it co- be? come back. Guess I'll have to go to the show. I, yeah. Guess you have to go to the show. I always think like anything with like a phone at the end is some sort of like saxophone yeah, like with the, something. Yeah. Like with the brass and the Yeah, 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 and... yeah. Like with lots of funky rhythms probably from that lusophone instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, the second arts uh, kind of event that's happening is Beckett 15. Yes, Beckett, Beckett 15. 15. Yes, it is a collection of short works that um, features work by Samuel Beckett, mm-hmm. the theater alumni group, and Professor Emeritus Norman Young. Um, these have a lot of BFA alumni that are in this performance have some sort of role in this performance so it is really if you're a UBC student or a UBC alumni this is something that um, I definitely recommend for you guys to go see also Samuel Beckett yes it's um, happening November 18th so tonight actually to the 21st 7 30 p.m. tickets are ten dollars but for students um, the tickets are five dollars which is incredibly cheap where is this this is going to be Freddy at Wood. the Freddie Wood. Wood. Um, Frederick Wood Theater. Yes. For those who are 6354 Crescent Road. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to get tickets, um, all you have to do is go to www.ubctheatertickets.com or contact them at 604-822-2678. Would, so. would tickets be available at the door? Yes, I do believe okay, there is. Great. But I mean, if you want to make sure that you get seats, yeah. it would be a good idea to. Um, book a lot of people will take advantage of the uh, really good pricing, and also Samuel Beckett. Yes. Did we forget to mention Samuel Beckett? <laughs> Samuel right. Beckett. Well, on that note, we are going to end off our show today. Again, there is no sharing science after this um, show, but there will be other um, cool shows stuff. that are yeah, cool stuff happening. Cool stuff. Um, 
past 6.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to kind of close off with a song by The Magic of Winter album from the magic of winter album by the wizards of winter this is kind of a christmas themed music um music tune track and Uh um we are actually going to be interviewing these musicians next week so do um listen to the track and if you're really into it be sure to tune in again next week all right thanks so much for listening this was the arts report cheers folks